Taiwan reported 129 local COVID cases and six deaths on Thursday. Health Minister Sun Zizong said that overall case counts are still on a downward trajectory, although daily counts have edged up over the past two days. He attributed the slight increase to outbreaks at Taipei's wholesale markets and long-term care facilities. These numbers that are coming in are, of course, related to the various cluster infections, so the case counts are slightly higher. We're hoping to quickly complete contact tracing for these cases related to the cluster infections. Going by the date of diagnosis, the case counts today and yesterday have actually risen slightly, even though we're still in the 100s. So there has been a slight increase, but overall, the trend is going down. With the six deaths added Thursday, Taiwan's case fatality rate is now 4.4 percent, more than double the global average of 2.1 percent. The rate of severe cases is now above 18 percent. Notably, adults 60 years and older have more than a 35 percent chance of developing a severe case of COVID-19. New Taipei now requires proof of a negative COVID test for entry to wholesale produce markets. The entry control comes after an outbreak at wholesale markets in neighboring Taipei City. On the first day of the new rule, more than a few vendors were caught off guard. It's before daybreak and vendors are arriving for work at the Sanchong Fruit and Vegetable Market. Each one presents proof of a negative COVID test. As of today, it's now standard procedure. On the scene was Jiang Huizhen, general manager of the new Taipei City Fruit and Vegetable Marketing Company. But even under her scrupulous watch, the first day of entry controls was far from smooth. One vendor had the wrong form and furnished a quick screening ID, thinking that this was proof of a negative COVID test. Some vendors hadn't taken a test and arrived with nothing at all. Since Tuesday, more than 3,000 people at the Banqiao and Sanchong wholesale markets have received rapid tests, but a handful of workers still slipped through the net, including vendors who visited the markets only occasionally. These vendors weren't registered for rapid screening, and there were no testing centers nearby. So on Thursday, they had to make the trek to a hospital or another testing site, losing a day of business. Those who hadn't been tested, we asked them to go get tested. Just like in Banqiao, there was one here who hadn't been tested. Turning to Taipei, at the city's first fruits and vegetables wholesale market, each arrival comes bearing proof of a COVID-negative test result, either in paper or digital form. Some tested yesterday, others the day before. The Central Epidemic Command Center said that rapid screening or PCR tests only determine if the person is contagious at that point in time. It said that wholesale markets in Greater Taipei must continue to take precautions such as crowd diversion to reduce the risk of viral transmission. A doctor warns that the Delta COVID variant first found in India is poised to put Taiwan to the test. It is believed to be 60% more transmissible than the Alpha variant first found in Britain. Li Bingying, a physician and advisor to the Central Epidemic Command Center, says more preparation is needed to prevent the virus from entering and sweeping Taiwan. 
With the arrival of AstraZeneca and Moderna vaccines, Taiwan's vaccination campaign is set to gather pace. But it's in a race against time with the Delta COVID variant. The Delta strain is believed to be 60% more transmissible than the Alpha strain first identified in the UK. So far, the Delta variant has already spread to more than 90 countries. In Europe and the US, studies are being done on the efficacy of a third vaccine dose and on next-generation vaccines with greater protection against emerging strains. Some experts say Taiwan should also be exploring ways to combat new variants. The vaccines are less effective against the Indian variant by about 10 to 20 percent. For the most part, they are less effective at preventing mild cases. There's no obvious impact on protection against severe cases. The CECC may need to plan ahead to address this. Some preparation is needed, but at the moment, it's not clear what direction will be taken. Lee says that experts worldwide have yet to reach a consensus on whether it's better to give a third dose or to develop a new vaccine altogether. The Delta variant is on a rampage across the globe, even in the UK, where vaccine coverage is over 50 percent. It's infecting more than 10,000 people each day. In the US, the variant accounts for about 10 percent of all new cases. The Chinese cities of Shenzhen and Dongguan are now battling the new variant, which was brought in by travelers. Some public health experts say Taiwan should make testing mandatory for arrivals from high-risk areas. But Lee contends that it's more effective to screen everyone just before they are due to end quarantine. If you screen arrivals upon entry, you have to consider the fact that the virus is still in the incubation period. New arrivals may not get sick until the sixth or seventh day in Taiwan, so you can't guarantee that they are not carrying the virus. Findings in Europe and the U.S. show that COVID symptoms are changing. Traditional symptoms associated with the original virus are fatigue, a cough, and a loss of smell. But with the rise of the Delta variant, symptoms like a headache and runny nose are becoming more common, making COVID hard to distinguish from a cold. As COVID gets harder to identify, it will put the border policies of countries worldwide to the test. As a COVID relief measure, the executive yuan has decided to suspend Taiwan's costlier summer electricity rate for the month of June for 10 million households. The cabinet said the measure will relieve financial strain on residential users who, due to COVID restrictions, now spend more time at home. The suspension will cost Taipao 1.4 billion NT. The average household is projected to save 124 NT. In addition, users in the service sector and agriculture industry can get up to 30 percent off their power bill between May and July, based on how much revenue they lost due to COVID. This program is expected to benefit 750,000 users and cost Thai power 4.7 billion NT. Now to the impact of COVID on the fishing industry. Level 3 restrictions have changed our eating habits overnight. For many fishermen, the normal market for their produce has dried up. It's especially tough for restaurant suppliers whose clientele are facing hard times. Let's head now to Ilan and learn how fishermen are weathering the storm. A fishing boat has come to harbor, and the crew carefully lower a fat black tuna onto land. Here at Suwal Harbor in Ilan, dozens of fish are laid out on ice for an auction. But this fishing boat captain is concerned. The prices are awful. Because of the pandemic, there's no buyers. 
The burden of the salaries and the fuel is a lot. If we don't go out and fish, we can't live. It's the black tuna season, but auctions are quiet. With pandemic restrictions keeping restaurants shut, there's precious little market for fish. Tuna has lost a third of its normal high season price, and fishermen say they can't catch enough to make a profit. Fish prices are poor. We have to find ways to manage. We auction the best parts of the fish online or find some way to sell them. We make tins from what's left, big hunks of meat. It's not only in Ilan where fishermen are looking for new ways to make ends meet. This farmer in Taidong is resorting to similar strategies. Abalone are reared in pure seawater with zero pollution. The plump mollusks are popular in seafood dishes. Taidong's Chenggong area was once home to the biggest abalone farm in the country. In the last two years, the industry managed to perk up, that is until COVID hit. Restaurants and banquet halls are suspended, so local fishing associations have swapped to offering home deliveries. Now everyone in Taiwan, normal housewives, can eat our delicious, highly valuable produce at home. Our traditional sales avenues are restaurants or large or medium-sized distributors. Today, the customers aren't coming and the restaurants can't sell anything. Abalone are an especially valuable catch, but COVID means even luxury produce needs to find new ways to market itself. But this farmer has good news. He says his sale volume has grown by a third since he began selling direct to consumers. Chief of the General Staff Huang Shuguang, who retires at the end of the month, was recognized by President Tsai Ing-wen for more than four decades of military service. President Tsai confirmed upon him one of the highest military awards called the Order of the Precious Tripod with Grand Cordon to honor his contribution to the country. Chief of the General Staff Huang was the first person I promoted to Admiral after I took office. During his time in the Navy Command, he ensured that the projects of the National Indigenous Defense Program were on time and met quality standards. During his tenure as Chief of the General Staff, he's facilitated breakthroughs in the reform of our defense capabilities. Our joint combat capabilities were on display last year at the Hanguang Drills, where we completed our first battalion training exercise. This year, we will add two reserve brigades to strengthen our integrated combat capacity. Three generals are in the running as Huang's successor. They include Deputy Defense Minister Zhang Zheping of the Air Force, Deputy Chief of Staff Chen Baoyu of the Army, and National Defense University President Wang Xinglong, who is also an Army officer. Retired Army Major General Yu Beitun says that given the high tensions across the strait and the critical role of the Air Force in national defense, President Tsai is most likely to appoint Zhang for the post. In an interview with CNN, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu said that Taiwan needs to be fully prepared for a military conflict with Beijing. He said that China's expansionist ambitions have reached the South China Sea and the Indo-Pacific region. As Taiwan's decision-makers, he said the Tsai administration cannot take any chances and must be prepared for China to attempt a forceful unification. Wu called on the international community to help maintain regional stability and continue to support Taiwan. CNN recently sat down with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu for an exclusive interview. Wu was asked about the options Taiwan has to counter Chinese aggression and whether reunification by force is likely. 
I think the Chinese are trying to unify Taiwan through peaceful means if possible, but they want to use force if necessary. So we need to prepare ourselves for a possible conflict. We hope it doesn't happen. A war between Taiwan and China is in nobody's interest. Wu said that aside from sending its warplanes to intimidate Taiwan, the Chinese government continues to use the internet to sway Taiwanese public opinion. They use cyber warfare, they use cognitive warfare, disinformation campaign, and the military intimidation to create a lot of anxiety among the Taiwanese people. When the reporter asked why China would choose to increase its pressure on Taiwan at this point in time, this is how Wu responded. I think they are also trying to expand their sphere of influence over the East China Sea, over the South China Sea, or beyond the first island chain into the wide Pacific. So this is not just Taiwan's problem. And we certainly hope that the international community will continue to look at the peace and stability in this region with attention and continue to support Taiwan. Wu's outspoken defense of Taiwan has led him to be accused by Beijing of being a diehard separatist. Speaking to CNN, Wu said all he's done is speak the truth and that China cannot tolerate the truth. The foreign minister said that he was honored to be targeted by the Chinese government. For the first time, foreign nationals are eligible for the government-subsidized vaccination drive. A total of 41 foreign nationals got their shots at the Shinny Junior High vaccination station on day one of the rollout. The vaccines are available by appointment to foreign nationals aged 75 or older with a residency permit and who are currently living in Taipei. Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe was not scheduled for any public appearances on Thursday, but he made a surprise visit to the Xingyi Junior High School vaccination station. <laughs> During his inspection tour, he stopped to speak to the senior citizens and ask how they were doing. This vaccination site isn't just open to adults 75 and older. Foreign nationals 75 and up are also eligible. Holding his immunization card, this German expat is the picture of calm after getting the jab. And I have uh, children in America, I have children in uh, Europe, and uh, I would like to travel anytime soon. And uh, without vaccination, uh, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not uh, convenient. So that's why I was pretty urgent. Aside from medical personnel, Taipei's Foreign Affairs Police Service was also on hand to help out. These foreign nationals here, from their conversations, I get a sense that being able to get the vaccines gives them a sense of relief. Going forward, we will continue to inoculate according to age. Foreign nationals will be included in whichever age bracket we're on. This week, Taipei opened up vaccinations to adults 75 and up. On Thursday, vaccine clinics began accepting walk-ins from nationals, borough wardens by reservation, and foreign nationals 75 and up by reservation. The city aims to use up its vaccine supply fast on older at-risk groups. If you've got a child at home who's sick of the pandemic, you're not the only one. But there are lots of new online resources catering to kids at home. A new series of videos from the National Museum of Marine Science and Technology gives families a chance to get up close and personal with the deep blue sea from inside their home. A conservationist approaches the tank with lunch, and this long, flat stingray begins to waggle his tail, clinging to the glass. He jumps out of the water without waiting for lunch to come down. He keeps wriggling as he swallows pieces of fish, and it almost looks like he's smiling. 
but those aren't his eyes. Nope, they're his nostrils. He's beautiful and cute. I like the Marine Science Museum. I want to see the feeding again. The online feeding show was shot in Geelong, capturing kids' attention nationwide. These little boxfish are even less polite when they're hungry. They pucker up their mouths and squirt jets of water at the conservationists. As soon as it's feeding time, the boxfish are a handful for their attendance. The museum is closed to visitors because of COVID, so staff filmed this video to let kids and adults get an update from the fascinating sea creatures in their care. The stingray loves to eat. He's like flying out of the water. The pufferfish is naughty and squirts water and it's cute. We will continue the videos once a week. During the pandemic, we will do our best using various methods to bring fish species that you might not normally get to see, as well as education about the ocean into people's homes. If you've got a little creature of your own at home, why not try checking out the Marine Science Museum online? Its fun and educational projects give kids a chance to forget their COVID blues and dive into the world of the ocean. Many small businesses are going through tough times, and few more so than artists. One leather craftsman in Pingdong has found new ways to fit his creations to the age of COVID. Chen Shiyang's handmade mask strings and cases are a practical way to accessorize pandemic life. Let's have a look. A string is clipped onto a face mask, but this is no mass-produced plastic wire. It's made of leather. Two clips are fastened onto the ends of the leather string and it's ready. This mask string will stand out in any crowd. During the pandemic, our in-store sales have dropped quite a lot. To improve profits, our potential is constantly being drawn out to create new and unique business opportunities. We have to change. We have to change. There's no solution except change. There's also this handmade leather case for bottles of disinfectant. It can be embossed with a name, a customizable touch that customers love. This leather craftsman is bringing a delicate texture to the minutiae of pandemic life. We only developed this after this wave of COVID. It really fits with the pandemic, so we've had quite a good reaction to it. These new leather designs are highly practical for pandemic life. Chen says he'll keep finding new ways to provide his services until COVID is behind us. Now, schools are suspended due to the pandemic, which means that bullying is not taking place in schools. But over on the World Wide Web, bullying between children still happens every day. With kids spending more time confined at home, online hate speech and abusive language are on the rise. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang speaks to Taiwan experts working to combat cyberbullying among children amid the pandemic. Cyberbullying incidents have soared as people spend more of their time on the internet. Early on in the pandemic, an Israeli-based startup called Light analyzed millions of websites and found a 70% increase in hate speech among children and teens. Cyberbullying is quite a new phenomenon. Due to the pandemic and people staying at home, this situation is even more complicated.
because when you're home all day, you've got nobody but your family and the internet. Cyberbullying can be especially difficult for children who are isolated from their friends. To help children tackle cyberbullies, the John Tung Foundation has designed educational materials and teaching plans for cyberbullying prevention. The foundation is working with schools in Greater Taipei to deliver a curriculum on recognizing cyberbullying and how to respond. It's also created an Instagram account called dailymental.tw, where content is posted to help kids cope with cyberbullying. In addition to promoting lesson plans and lectures on campus, we also created an Instagram account. We hope to use language that is closer to teenagers to help them and relieve them of the possible pressure of cyberbullying. Of course, we also hope that through advocacy activities, we can let cyberbullies develop self-discipline and understand that cyberbullying can cause serious harm to others. In addition, John Tung Foundation is working to educate people who engage in cyberbullying. It's created an acronym, THINK, to remind people to ask whether their comments are true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. On our official website, we will set up a special area to prevent online bullying, provide new information and articles, as well as videos. Our very important appeal is T-H-I-N-K, THINK. We hope that children and adults, before pressing the keyboard, can think about whether the words they say and the words they type will hurt others. One middle school counselor says that parents have an important role to play in preventing cyberbullying. I have observed that almost every student now has a mobile phone. Social media is a platform for them to make friends with other people. The most commonly used social media is Instagram. But when using the social media, children don't necessarily possess internet literacy. Some students may believe that Instagram stories only last for 24 hours or it's gone after we delete it. Therefore, they vent their frustrations online, but ignore the fact that even though it was uploaded for just a few minutes, it is possible for others to screen grab it and send it to others. Some parents tighten their control of children's internet time as a punishment. But this is not really a solution to the problem. It just makes the children more resistant. What we really want to do is to let them know the features of the online world and to teach them about how to avoid the harm caused by cyberbullying. Parents are key to shaping children's online behaviors and their attitudes towards other people on the Internet. Experts urge parents to get involved in their kids' online world so that they can provide the guidance that's needed at the right time. For most of the news, Stephanie Yang, Lu Bochong in Taipei.